You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. It's great to invite our amazing friends with us, Paul and Greta. Paul is our regional leader of Elam, uh, Elam Northampton, of, uh, of Elam uh, Movement. He's our regional leader for over 100 churches. Is that right, Paul? Mm-hmm. But not only Paul is our regional leader, Greta and Paul are, are really good friends of ours. And so I want you to give them a massive welcome as Thank he brings you. the word. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jason, Pastor Linda. They are our friends. It's uh, just wonderful to see the favor of God on this couple that are your co-lead pastors of this church. Do you like Pastor Jason and Pastor Linda? And they are a wonderful couple. We, we love, you know there are some people that you don't want to have coffee with, yeah? And there are some people that you just love spending time with. Well, we love spending time with your pastors, and to see the favor of God on their life means the favor of God is on this church, amen? Amen. Wow, well, that was quite a video, wasn't it? Who's up for moving? I mean, sorry, is there anybody up there? I said, who's up for moving? Honestly, I'm so excited about where you're heading. I can't wait. I can't wait. I've already told Pastor Jason, have you bought the red ribbon, you know, where you have to cut it? And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, isn't it? Anyway, happy Easter. You can't say good morning on a Sunday like this, can you? You've got to start out by saying happy Easter. Right now, all around the world, uh, the Orthodox Church (laughs) next week, (laughs) but all around the world, People have been standing before congregations of all sizes and bringing an Easter resurrection message. What a privilege for me. Thank you so much for giving me the privilege. Today on the BBC News, at some point, um, they will be re- they'll be reporting on the Archbishop of Canterbury's Easter message and the Pope's Easter message, and not mine, sadly. Um, <laughs> But, and, and why not? Because today is the day for the church worldwide to go berserk. Amen? And just to celebrate this wonderful story, which is everything to us. Another Archbishop of Canterbury 30 years ago, George Carey said, belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to our Christian faith. It is. It is the Christian faith. It is the center of all. It's the foundation, the center. It's above us. It's everything encapsulates all of the Christian. It's the essence of Christianity. It is the offense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what, what for us 
as you have become a follower of Jesus, it gives you the guarantee that after your death, there is eternal life. Amen. It, it is, it is the, 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 the truth that Jesus is more than a prophet, that he is himself the Son of God, a title for God himself. This is the greatest miracle, is the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some missionaries were reaching into um, a tribal village in East Asia, an unreached people group that had never heard of the story of Jesus, nor had they ever seen a film. And they were showing the Jesus film, and they had it on big white sheets, um, blankets between trees, and uh, one of those old cinema, cine cameras, and uh, everybody was gathering around, just sitting on the floor watching this amazing film. And they, they were encapsulated by this good man, Jesus, and how the children were adored by him, and how he did amazing miracles and wonderful things for people. And then the story went on and it moved into the crucifixion and uh, it all started to go wrong within the village because not only did they start crying, they started wailing and they started complaining and they started getting really angry that this, this Jesus was crucified and so much so that the missionaries had to stop the film and they had to say, whoa, calm down. It's not finished yet. There's more. Just stay, stay calm. We'll, we'll put it back on again. There's more to the story. But, but just keep peaceful. Keep peaceful. And so they showed the rest of the story. And of course the resurrection came and pandemonium broke out in the village as everybody started to dance and slap each other and just high five and it was just a tremendous occasion and the missionaries didn't, didn't need to do anything more because everything that was happening in the story and everything that was happening in the village was meant to happen. That's the effect of the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The theologian N.T. Wright said these words, there were many messianic movements in the first century. And in every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. But in not one single case do we hear of the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming that their hero had been raised from the dead because they knew better. Apart from the followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So what is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Let me give you those evidences, a few of them. Number one, it is the crucifixion. Jesus died on the cross and the soldiers who crucified 
Jesus were experts, professionals. It was their job. They knew what to do. And there was no coming back. In fact, there was no, there's been no historical uh, case of anyone surviving a crucifixion. You did not come off that cross. You died. In fact, many died beforehand during the Roman flogging. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. Excruciating comes from the words out of the cross. And it signifies that there's nothing in the language that could describe the intense anguish during that crucifixion. If Jesus had come down from the cross and then recovered later somehow, what kind of condition would Jesus have been to inspire and then motivate his followers to also lay their lives down if he had not be raised, and all of it was a lie. Andrew was crucified in Greece. Bartholomew was crucified upside down in Georgia. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned in Jerusalem. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Peter, crucified upside down in Rome. Philip, crucified upside down in the Hierapolis. Thomas, speared to death in India. It just does not make sense that people would do that, that they would do this for a lie that their master had been raised. Secondly, the empty tomb and the evidence of Jerusalem. Peter preached in the city of Jerusalem and is recorded as saying these words God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If there was no empty tomb in Jerusalem, then do not talk about the empty tomb in the very city where the tomb was, where people could go and check out this story. The fact is that still in 2023, no one has ever found the body of Jesus, amen? There is no tomb that you can go to before Jesus and say, this is where Jesus was dead and buried. No one has been able to do a pilgrimage there. Why? Because Jesus is not dead, amen? Evidence from the women. It was the women who first saw the empty tomb. And at that time, if you're a woman, in that generation, in that culture, it wasn't a great place for you. As a woman, you were held back in many ways. You could not testify in a court of law. The role of women was just rubbish. It was nothing in that society. Some of the old rabbinical sayings are so offensive, but hey, we're in Northampton, I can read them. Let the words of the law be burned rather than delivered to a woman. I mean, you know, blessed is, blessed is he, he whose children are male, but woe to him whose children are female. I mean, come on. So this, is a, this is a terrible time to be a woman. Now, if the gospel writers were wanting to make up a lie that Jesus raised from the dead, they would not have used women as the first eyewitnesses. They would have used men like Peter, some of the other disciples. 
if they were making up a lie, but it was the women who saw Jesus for the first time. Amen. Thirdly, people saw a risen Jesus on many different occasions. Let me tell you who they were. Mary Magdalene, other women, Cleopas, and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. Eleven disciples and others. Ten apostles and others, but Thomas uh, missed the meeting. If you miss a meeting, <laughs> you wish you hadn't. You, always, you miss a meeting, it's then when God moves, you know. <laughs> Bless him. But then Thomas was there and other apostles again. There was a time when there was just seven apostles. A time when it just says disciples. There was a time when the apostles were at the Mount of Olives for their commissioning. Luke writes in Acts 13, he says, God raised him from the dead and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. There's a total of 552 people on 13 different occasions saw the risen Jesus. But more than that, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom, most of, this was written 20 to 25 years later after the resurrection of Jesus. Most of whom are still living, meaning you can check it out. They're still alive today. They'll still tell you. They'll still testify. Yes, I saw him. Yes, I saw him. Check it out. It's true. It's reliable. And fourthly, the transformation of lives, the conversion of Paul, known originally as Saul of Tarsus. He was the persecutor of Christians, a killer of Christians, leading Pharisee. He would say of himself, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he turned around. Not only did he turn around and became a follower of Jesus, he was willing to suffer. He was willing to suffer being flogged, stoned, seasons of great hunger, poverty, and he ends up being beheaded in Rome. Why? Why turn around and then for the second part of your life, go through all that stuff? That terrible things. Why? Because you have met Jesus on the Damascus Road and it was a transformation of his life. There's the transformation and the conversion of James. Paul writes about what happened to him when he got saved. And he says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles only James, the Lord's brother. You see, now James was the half-brother, yeah? The half-brother of Jesus. He was not a follower of Jesus. Now, what convinces you? I don't know if you've got a brother 
or a half-brother, but what convinces you that your brother is the Son of God? If your brother says, oh, by the way, I'm the Son of God, are you going to go, oh, yeah, yeah. What convinces you that your brother, your half-brother is this? Only the risen Jesus, only the risen Jesus can convince you that your relative, half-relative, someone in the family actually has remarkably risen from the dead. Amen? Transformation of lives. But I want to tell you this. The, the, the big, big evidence for the, for the resurrection of Jesus is here right now in this theatre. There are hundreds and hundreds of men and women who have given their lives to Jesus. It's you. You are the evidence of the risen Jesus Christ this morning. You are the evidence that Jesus is alive today. You have got a story to tell. He has changed you. He has transformed you. He opened your eyes. He gave you a new path. He turned you around. He put your feet upon a solid rock and He gave you a purpose. He has done everything for you. He has changed your life and you'll never be the same again. Can I hear an amen? To those who are in Christ, you have got more than just information about Jesus Christ. He is more than just a name to you. He is precious to you. You have surrendered your life to Jesus and you belong to him. He's in your life. You know when you wake up, he's there. When you go to sleep, he's there. He never leaves you. And his presence is greater than the one that's outside of you and facing you today. God gave you a new foundation of life and that foundation is the resurrected Jesus Christ. Death is no longer to be feared. Death is not the final enemy. Death is not the ultimate evil to the follower of Jesus because of the risen Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter this morning who rises against you. Kings and queens can come against you. Authoritative figures can come against you. Circumstances and situations can come against you. It does not matter what comes and rises against you. Friends, whatever it is, do not be intimidated by a man-sized king that comes against you when you have got the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, right here in your life. Amen. What is rising before you today? It, it, it may be, oh, it's a mountain, Paul. It's just a mountain. But listen, it pales into insignificance. It's a shadow. It's a shadow. You may think it holds the keys to your future. It may be something to do with your health. And you may be worried and anxious about your future. It may be about your finances. It may be about things that you're facing that just seem so huge before you. But I just want to remind you this morning that the that your king has already risen. He's already up and he's already about and he's already moving and he is above all kings because your king has risen. It means you will never be condemned because your king has risen. It means you will never be disqualified because your king has risen. It means you will never be rejected because Jesus, your king, is in your life today. Amen. So what seemed to have happened, as Pastor Linda shared in Matthew 28, that there was a violent earthquake. 
And an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and, and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. Jesus did not need an exit. <laughs> he did not need an entrance. The stone rolling away was not to get Jesus out, it was to get his disciples in. The resurrection happened before the stone was rolled away. God was wanting you and me and the disciples to experience the atmosphere and the environment of what it is to live with the truth that God has got the power over death. And Jesus is risen. I believe it's time for a violent earthquake to take place in someone's life today. It's time to get out of the grave. It's time to get out of the grave clothes. And it's time for a shaking of your life towards the circumstance that is holding you. <laughs> there was a minister in Italy and um, he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before he, and this man who died was an unbeliever and he really just hated Christianity and everything to do with Christianity and so um, but he was, he was also a fool <laughs> so the, the, the man had the man who died had arranged to have a huge stone slab placed over his grave because just to, as a, a, a testament that uh, I don't believe in the resurrection from the dead and um, I don't want to be raised from the dead and I don't believe in it so I'm going to put a big slab over it, over my grave. But evidently when he was buried, a little acorn <laughs> fell into the grave and this minister was visiting the, the grave and a hundred years later, this acorn had grown up through the grave, split the slab and is now an acorn tree. And he said this, if an acorn which has power of biological life in it can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? life. Amen. The minute that you decide to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave comes into your life. And those things that may seem immovable, the immovable slabs of your, do you have an immovable slab within your life? I, it, it, it may be a sickness and it may be a situation, it may be something that you have to face even this next week. It may be a brokenness and a heart that's broken. I don't know what is immovable upon you today, but I want to tell you this, when the resurrected power of Jesus Christ is in your life, it can break through and break anything that's immovable in this place this morning. Amen. The best friend of the one who said, I'll build my church brings a definition of the church loud and clear. You see, church is not a church that just meets once or twice a week. 
And that's not church for this old man John in his old age. He's the last remaining uh, apostles when he writes these words. He writes one of his letters, his first letter. In, in fact, his opening letter, he says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. What happened to this old man John was that he was on an island of Patmos and then after an emperor died, he was released. He was a prisoner but he was released and he ends up in Ephesus and he begins to write his letters and he formulates the New Testament as we know it now. But when he gets back to Ephesus, having been in exile, the church is very much on his heart, not because only because of his best friend Jesus, but also because he looked out, he saw that the church was becoming weakened from what it was meant to to have been. For him and for us, the foundation of our faith sits on the evidence of the physical encounter by many people of the human Jesus Christ, people like John. The importance of having been with Jesus was crucial for the first century church, perhaps more than we realise. So when they wanted to replace Judas, it wasn't just a case of finding somebody else to be part of the team. They had to be someone who had seen the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. It was everything. The central message from the beginning was this. Christ is risen. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? And, and, and at that time, you couldn't say, well, no, but I've heard he's risen. Can I still be in the team? No, that, that, that wasn't the qualification. You had to have seen Jesus. It had to be personally experienced. Now John turns up into Ephesus and the church is being weakened and the, the, the starting, the, 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 the nature of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is being diminished and John steps in and starts to address this. And even in 2023, you may want to say, well, I've not seen the resurrection Jesus. I've not heard, I've not seen, I've not touched, I've not been with the So in John's generation, in that church, there was many who had not actually seen the risen Jesus. He begins to write to them, and you can read that in his letters, and he says this. The difference is today is, he, he, he writes these words, the one that keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. In them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. So although you and I were not around 2,000 years ago to see physically the risen Jesus The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, which is in this theatre right now, this morning. We heard it right at the beginning that God is here. This evident presence of God in this place is here to save, to heal, to transform, to change your lives, to come into you so that you can also have the truth, the faith, the belief, 
the knowledge, the understanding, the transformational experience of the resurrected Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit will bring it to you. When the church comes together in, in, in either a small group or like this, a celebration style, um, it testifies of our encounters and our experiences of Jesus and it longs for more. The authenticity, the authenticity of church is directly linked to the person of Jesus Christ and that means the incarnation, it means the virgin birth, it means fully human, fully divine, it means the death of Jesus, it means the resurrection of Jesus, it means the ascension of Jesus, the soon return of Jesus and while we wait, the Holy Spirit working through our lives to bring healing to a broken world and anything less is not church. Anything less is not church. That's what I've described that's what it is. So if you hear of church not holding to anything of that or part of that, it's not the church of Jesus Christ. The resurrection message of the church tells us this. Number one, that Jesus is alive. I, John, your brother, I'm, he's writing to the persecuted Christians. He's on Patmos, the island, uh, for his faith. Um, I, I'm a companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John tells the suffering Christians that I'm also in exile. I'm also suffering. The Patmos is the place of, uh, in fact, I don't know if I'm going to get off this island. It's Sunday and John is not with his people and he's not preaching in the churches. He's on the island of Patmos. It's the place where all that's in front of you is just bleak. All that's in front of you is death. You're not going to break through. You're not going to get a, an answer to your prayers. This is where you are. This is your situation. This is your position for the rest of your life. It's your portion and you may know a Patmos experience this morning, but I'm here to tell you that Patmos can be the best place for you and for where the best place that you've ever been to. It was here that he had this amazing revelation of Jesus Christ. And John discovered that there's no place that you can go to that the hand of Jesus cannot find you. There's no island that you can go to that Jesus, he knows where all the islands are. He knows your address. He's got a GPS on you. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows your situation. And John discovered that his best friend found him. He found him in this place of ultimate bleak future. And Jesus comes to him and says these words, John, I am the living one. I was dead, John. I was. But look, look, John. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. John, I'm still here. I'm still here. No matter what you have felt about me during your suffering, I'm here, John. In your disappointment, you may have thought that I turned my back on you. I've not. I've never turned my back on you, John. I'm here. John. Tell them, John, write to them, tell them that I, Jesus, am still very much alive all over the world today. Can I tell you a story? Eight years ago, 
One of our missionaries, one of the Elam missionaries was holding a church service on Easter Sunday and he was just about to preach. And in, this is in a, in a church in a, a stronghold nation, Islamic stronghold nation. And he's just about to preach and, and in comes an imam and he starts to have a little bit of flutter and thinking, Shall I, oh Lord, you know, this could be my last sermon. <laughs> he went ahead with the preach and afterwards, he talked to the imam and the imam told him the story. This is eight years ago. Uh, and the imam said to him, um, three days ago on Good Friday, I, I, I started to seek, uh, I, I, needed to, I needed to have a revelation of Muhammad. And so I started to fast on Friday. I said, Muhammad, show yourself, show yourself to me. And uh, Muhammad didn't come. And uh, so I went into Easter Saturday into Saturday the next day and I fasted again a second day and I was praying all day, Muhammad, will, will, will you show yourself? And, and Muhammad didn't come. Who knows that? It doesn't matter how many times you fast and pray for Muhammad, he's not going to come. Amen, yeah? In the early hours of Sunday morning, several hours before this service started, in the early hours of Sunday morning, Jesus came. Jesus came. And he came to me and Jesus explained to me salvation. He explained to me about his life and he explained to me about the truth. And I, I gave my life to Jesus in my, in my home just a, a few hours ago. And then he showed me a picture of where the church is and he gave me the address, just gave me the address. Now, I've come to this church today. What, what must I do now? Jesus is alive. He knows where everybody. He knows where everybody lives. He knows the addresses. And our, our missionaries said, uh, "Well, in the uh, long story short, we, we have a Quranic teacher who every Friday for the last several years has been in the mosques of this nation, of this particular nation, telling people that Jesus is far more than a prophet, and he is discipled and doing really, really well. Amen. Jesus is." Alive. There's no cancer, there's no Caesar, there's nothing that comes against you that, that stands in your way. There's nothing that says that this is dead, this is finished, it's over. Jesus is alive. When Jesus is in your life, it never does end. Even if it ends on this earth, it starts in heaven above. Eternal life forever and ever and ever. You, you actually never go away, amen, amen. You actually can just continually live forever and ever because Jesus Christ is alive alive. Secondly, Jesus is in control. He says to John, John, will you write to that church in Ephesus? Will you write to the pastor, the messenger? The, we'll call him the angel. Will you write to that leader and, and say this, that I, I, I hold the seven stars in my right hand and I, I walk among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, the, 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 the number seven is perfect complete, total, ultimate, everything. And the lampstands is the churches. It's the church that Jesus walks among even today. And he holds seven stars. And what's that about? Domitian's son, the emperor Domitian, his son died. And just like the other emperors did, who everybody believed that they were the son of God. When he died, he, he had coins made. And uh, on the image of the, of the coins in Emperor Domitian's time was his dead son who was sitting on a globe and around him were seven stars. And when people put their hands in the pockets for the offering at church, 
um, <laughs> and brought out the coins. They would have the coins with that sun on top of a globe with the seven stars to indicate his immortality. Jesus comes to John and says to him, can I just tell you who's actually in charge of the whole world? Can I just, it's not that sun. He doesn't hold the seven stars. I've got the seven stars. I'm in control of the whole world, John. Will you tell that church I'm in control to, to the martyred, to the suffering church, to those who are going through it. I'm in control of your life. I read earlier that on the Lord's Day, John was, was in the Spirit. The Spirit took control of John and behind him was a loud voice and he turned around and the loud voice was like a sound of a trumpet and John knew what that was about because in his culture, he knew that the sound of the trumpet was the sound of battle. It was a sound of a new day. Can I just take a, a, a 10 seconds and say this to you, Northampton Elam, as you follow the leadership of this church, and you follow pastors Jason and Linda, that I want to say to you that, can you not hear, there is a, there's a sound, I can hear a sound like a trumpet, that as the Spirit takes control of this church, as the Spirit, as you welcome the Holy Spirit more and more to take control of your life, that, that there's a sound, turn around, there's a trumpet call, because this is a new day, this is a new season for this church, he wants you to step into something new, and he's calling to rise up as soldiers of Jesus Christ, he's calling you into battle to be used to say, Jesus, will you take control of my life and will you use me in this generation that I'm living in? I'm hearing that call for this church. Jesus is alive. Jesus is in control. And I've got four minutes. I'm going to go really quick. I, I preached quick before. You're thinking, gosh, that, he, he talks fast. Got a lot to get through. But nothing like this final thing. Jesus calls you to win. He calls you to win. See, Jesus said to John, John, I want you to write to all the churches because I need them to get a message to the church in Ephesus, to the one who is victorious. I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Church in Smyrna, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The church in Pergamum, to the one who is victorious, I'm going to give them some hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it, to the church in Thyatira to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end I will give authority over the nations to the church in Sardis the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white I will never blot out that name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels to the church in Philadelphia the one who is victorious I will make a pillar of the uh, pillar in the temple of my God never again will they leave it I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from, from my God and I will also write on them my new name to the church in Laodicea, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. I think he's trying to communicate a message. He's trying to communicate a message and the message is this, you win because Jesus has won. You win because Jesus has won. To the one to the one who is victorious. It's not a temptation. It's not a desire. It's an invitation to step into the victory of Jesus. To the one who is victorious is a promise of victory. 
Jesus Christ has defeated every, every, every and any defeat in your life. Jesus has defeated it as a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to live in that victory. Every illness, every struggle, every difficult circumstance, He will control and bring under your feet like a conqueror with His feet on the neck of His enemy. So will Christ do that for you. We have nothing to fear. Oh, we have nothing to fear. I mean, you have nothing to... Fear is there, but you don't have to... Choose it. You don't have to pick it up. It doesn't have to belong to you. Fear, you, you know that you're doing the right thing. You know you're going down the right path when you spot fear. Fear will always be there, but you don't have to pick it up and you don't have to choose it. You don't even have to acknowledge it. You just know it's there. But actually, you realise that actually this, that victory is yours because Jesus is on the path with you. Victory is yours because He's alive and He's in control and He is calling you to step into His victory. I want to ask you to accept the invitation to step into the victory. I'm going to say to, in the last seconds that I have, I've done really well. Uh, this, I've been, it's been perfect almost. I mean, the message, I'm not sure, but certainly the timing, I've done really well. I don't want to accept you. I want to give you an invitation to come. Whether there's a defeat in your life or whether there's something that you're facing, a struggle, some mountain in the way, I just want to encourage you to come to the front in a, in a, in a few moments. Uh, we, we're going to ask you to go and pick up the children and, and the worship team are going to come and we're going to invite you just to come to the front and the prayer team are going to be praying for you. And I just know here on Easter, Sunday. I believe mountains are going to shake. I believe there's going to be violent earthquakes taking place. Slabs are going to be broken. I just believe that things that have been on you are going to be released by the power of the Spirit because Jesus is alive. He's in control of your life and He's calling you to step into His victory. There is evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is here. Please go and pick up your children. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I'm at the same time you know you know that God has spoken to you. Not me but the Holy Spirit has done what I cannot do. And there's been something just, he's just nudged you. Today is the day. This morning is your morning. Now is the time. And you, you may not be a follower of Jesus, but you want to step into that. You come with the others. You may be sick, come right now. You, you may be facing difficulties, come right now. You want to acknowledge Jesus? You're in my life. You're alive. Control me. Come upon me. Control my situation. I give my life to you. You may want to step into the victory of Jesus and do it right now. Holy Spirit, in this theatre, some have got to come a long way down, but you've placed a desire in their heart for more of Jesus. I believe there's hunger here, spiritual hunger for Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, move in ways that no one else can move. Do miracles in this place. 
life transformations in this place. Salvation be in the house of the Lord today. Come. So, as soon as we begin with this song, you step out of your role. You're here on the ground floor. You should be the ones here first because it's not as far to go. The other ones, get running down those steps and come to the front and meet with Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Thank you. Thank you so much.